You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Ryan. I'm Rachel. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Our hope is that this podcast helps us to better connect with the people of Clear Creek and continue the conversation beyond our weekly worship services. So lately, we've been in a message series called Faith in Technology, and uh, technology touches so much of our lives. One of the things that we talk about a lot when we think about technology is social media and the phones that are in our uh, hands and our pockets and uh, help us to really just connect with other people. But there are some dark sides to that. And one of those I think about is how that impacts our kids today. So Rachel, you and I, we both have multiple kids. You've got four, I've got three. Our oldest are two or 10 year old daughters and just thinking about the impact that social media has on how they think about themselves their relationships and their own bodies it really is it's kind of a scary thing to think about yeah that is a really scary thing you know it's just something that i think about a lot having two daughters who i just want to um, love themselves and to find their identity somewhere outside of what they look like and uh, what their bodies look like particularly. So I actually sat down with Susan Wesley and her daughter, Becca Madrid, and they just told me their stories walking through some of these issues, which was so helpful. And we also had Amy Carlson, who's a dietitian, and she's the founder of Peace With Food. And she's part of their story and their community. And they just, all three of them offered so much wisdom and just practical advice as we think through these issues for ourselves and for our kids. It was really great. That sounds really, really helpful. Let's jump in. Okay, Becca, Susan, and Amy, thank you guys so much for being here. I'm really excited about this conversation. You guys are already chattering and (laughs) loving on each other, and it's really fun. So thanks for being here today. Absolutely. So I want to start just with hearing Becca's story. So if you would... You know, just walk us through what it looked like for you to sort of struggle with, um, you, you know, food and control in your body and an eating disorder. And what does that really look like for someone? Because I think a lot of people are afraid of it and a lot of people have some experience with it, but but what does it look like? Yeah. So h- how did that start for you? Yeah. Um, well, I think there was always a part of me that believed that I wasn't enough on my own. Those thoughts came creeping in pretty early in my life uh, that I needed something to offer people if I was going to be worth their time. And um, uh, that often manifested itself in my appearance. So even after I became a Christian and I recognized that what my heart was really after was justification and that was given to me in Christ, I struggled to functionally believe that, to let that truth transform my mind. I chose to believe that my identity was tied to other people's evaluations of me or my evaluations of myself. And I think I was just looking for a good measuring stick and I found one in anorexia. There were some circumstances in life that um, came together to create a somewhat urgent need for me to feel in control of my world. Um, And that's kind of where this journey sort of started. At the end of my sophomore year in high school, starting my junior year, my family experienced a lot of change. My older sister moved to Austin to go to school, and her, uh, her absence was harder on me than I expected. Hurricane Katrina caused so much devastation in New Orleans that many evacuees came to Houston, and Clear Creek was in a sort of 
all-hands-on-deck situation for a while, which tied my parents up a lot. Also, I was trying to purposefully separate myself from a classmate who made me the target of her unhealthy and often cruel behavior. And I remember thinking, I just need to get through these next two years and make it to college, and then everything will be okay. Real life can begin. Right now, I thought, I just want to be the best student that I can be so I can get there and be the most controlled version of myself. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm a nine. So <laughs> I, I am. Uh, oh, you are? Okay. Um, you're a nine or you're familiar? <laughs> no, I'm just familiar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and uh, my core motivation is to be unaffected mm. by life. And that was never more clear than during this season. Um, I wanted to live in a vacuum, honestly, to be um, completely unaffected by the change around me or the things that I couldn't manage. And that's when I found that restricting my food intake provided this very satisfying sense of control. So by Christmas of my junior year, I had dropped a dramatic amount of weight and um, I was excelling in school, but practically friendless, though there were some people who never gave up on me and emotionally and spiritually numb. I had replaced the worship of Christ with this newfound method of control, and I got very frustrated and anxious whenever anything or anyone threatened this new idol. Gosh, that's already, I mean, I'm, you know, I just already want to reach back to that, you know, teenager <laughs> and just, you know, hug her and talk to her. It's, so do I. Me it's, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's really, I'm so grateful that you're sharing this story. So how did your friends and family, those people who did know you and love you, how, how did they respond? Yeah. How did they react? Uh, well, I honestly couldn't tell how noticeable the change in my body was. Um, and when people would approach me concerned for my health, I always brushed them off. Uh, many families in the church loved on me and encouraged me despite my hard, hardened responses towards them. I still have a box full of handwritten letters and notes that I go through often from friends and adults in my life who wanted to remind me that I was loved, um, that they were in my corner, that they wanted me to be well. My parents were, though, the greatest threat to my idol. I couldn't always see that at the time, but they were terrified. It came off to me as anger, and um, I got really defensive in those conversations with them. I wasn't really convinced I was doing anything wrong or sinful, um, but I still remember there were some tender moments with both of them when the anger front would fall down and I could see they were just both really scared for my life. Yeah. So you had a lot of people around you who were trying to help and trying to love mm -hmm. you well, but I know that, I, I know because I've, I've heard this before, you guys eventually found somebody who, who really stepped in, who could offer some expertise and help in this. What did that look like? Yeah. Um, it was heavenly. Uh, we, so I, I actually babysat for quite a few families in the church at the time weekly. And one of them, uh, recommended a Christian dietitian named Amy Carlson to my mom. This is all unbeknownst to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and my parents told me I was going to start seeing her weekly. And I still actually remember that first time I sat in her office and I did not want to be there. Uh, but she was unfazed by my refusal to open up to her. And she told me her story and how she spent nine years shackled to an eating disorder. And uh, everything she told me, every disclosure, made me feel very exposed. 
Um, She was describing emotions and habits that I thought were unique only to me. And then she told me that I was on a path to a young death and that she had seen it before. But I remember she told me, you have an eternal hope in Jesus and he can save you from yourself. You just have to want to be well. My desire for healing is really where Amy started. She didn't focus on behavioral modification with me, save for an eating plan she would tuck in a manila folder and hand to me on the way out the door. Mm -hmm. Um, Amy asked me probing questions to uncover my motives and my beliefs, and she would read scripture to me and remind me of the truth. I always left her office teary-eyed and cathartic and so aware of how my beliefs were dictating my behavior. After many sessions with her, God began to soften my heart towards Him and loosen this grip on my safe routine of control, Mm. and I started to want to be well. Which sounds, which is amazing, and it sounds like, okay, Becca's okay now, but I know that's not really how anything (laughs) works, anything, but definitely not this, and so I know it's, it's, you know, a few steps forward and then a few steps back, so, so what did that look like for you? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I say that she didn't focus on behavioral modification, but that's still an important part of healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, recovery was definitely one step forward, many steps back. Um, like anyone in a habitual sin pattern, my world was really small. Um, I remember Amy doing a few different exercises with me that woke me up to the fact that I did not see myself the way that God saw me. Mm. I didn't even see myself the way I physically existed. Because when you starve your body, your mental perception really suffers. And in every sense, I needed new eyes. New eyes to see um, God, to see my own soul, to see myself, the world around me. Um, I'm a church kid of the 90s, so I often, (laughs) (laughs) I think in lyrics, song lyrics, and... um, Stephen Curtis Chapman was kind of the soundtrack of my childhood. And he has a song called See the Glory. And he says, "Um, I'm eating candy, sitting at a gourmet feast. I'm waiting in a pond when I could be swimming in the ocean. What's the deal with me? I need to wake up and see the glory. And that's honestly what fuels recovery, I think, the glory of God. So in lots of ways, I tried to wake up. Um, I still pursued college away from home. And I saved my babysitting money so I could go to Europe after I graduated high school. Um, All of these things had conditions to them. I had to be um, a certain weight. I had to, you know, have proven that I was taking Mm. care of myself to do these things. And um, I didn't want to lose those opportunities to see God and meet. These were your conditions. No, actually, these were my parents' conditions. Oh, 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 I see. No, I was actually, that's so good. Because yeah. I was hearing you thinking you meant that I had to be at this certain weight, like at a lower weight oh, for no, myself. No, no. Okay. No. Okay. Um, yeah. That, that was, makes more sense. It was all a part of yes. You know, yes. recovering and living under their roof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I, I tried my best to rekindle some old friendships. Um, I was vulnerable with a handful of people about what was going on in my world. I uh, honestly thought that I was doing a lot better before I went off to Texas A&M, where I ended up going to college. Um, But being apart from my family and feeling the academic pressure of school made me uh, really overwhelmed. And I chose to resort to old behaviors to deal with it. 
I ended up uh, passing out actually in the library at Texas A&M. Um, I was taken to the hospital in College Station and treated for malnourishment. Um, I remember actually there was a, a friend from Clear Creek that was in the library when that happened. Oh, wow. And she um, saw me being wheeled out on the stretcher. And I said, call my mom. Mm. <laughs> and um, she did. And my mom stayed with me for a week. She helped me get back on my feet and told me that if I didn't make some real changes, that she and my dad were going to pull me out of school. I had already gotten a taste of what life could be like to live for more than myself. And I didn't want to defend my anorexia anymore. Mm. I really wanted to change. So on the floor of my apartment in College Station, nobody around me, um, I opened my hands. I asked God for forgiveness for worshiping myself. I told him I was ready to trust him, to hand over my desire for control in exchange for the faith to trust in his promises. I had made this prayer before, um, but this was the first time I'd, I, uh, I made a resolve that this was going to be part of my job mm. for my first year at a and was getting better. Um, I needed God to provide me faith, but I didn't have it. I wanted it, and that proved to be enough. That same day, I pulled out all the eating plans Amy had given me, um, all the time I had spent with her. I looked at all her suggestions of things that I could eat to heal my body, and I did everything exactly as she wrote it. I did it all. I took it with me to the grocery store. Um, I, I didn't think so much about um, it stopped becoming numbers to me and um, food was medicine. It was a way to heal me. Um, and by the Lord's grace, I began to rely on him for everything. His word was nutrients for my soul, alive and actively repl- replacing lies I had believed for a long time. That whole year, I literally slept with the Bible under my pillow and I would read it when I woke up and I would read it when I went to sleep. And regardless of that, he felt so near, but it was still a really hard year for me. Um, Recovery was really messy. Um, I developed panic attacks that were really bad that year, but the Lord even used those to help heal me. My recovery was not linear or predictable, but God promised to be with me and he was. Mm, Which is just astounding you know like God is with us even in these moments um thank you so much for sharing your story it is um so powerful and hard and beautiful and um I know it seems like a long time ago yeah to mm-hmm. you it does um but you know I, I haven't heard that whole story and so it's is really powerful and also I'm, I'm looking at you and so it's hard to hear but I'm also looking at you and you are healthy and you're happy, and um, you are recovered. And so it's also a really hopeful story. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing it. Yeah. I was actually, I had mentioned, you know, this is, uh, I feel a little far removed from this part of my story sometimes. Um, But my mom said, that's actually a good thing. That's that's something to be grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've recovered so much that, that people it can feels, feel that way. Yeah. That if you're struggling with this, one day you might feel far removed. Yeah. Free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the questions I have as I'm listening to your story is, you know, why, why does this happen? Because I think that 
when I think of an eating disorder or just struggles with, you know, not only women, certainly, um, but a lot of times women with, with food and their bodies and control, I think um, that I have some idea of why it happens. But I listen to Becca's story and I realize I really don't because it's such a unique story. So, Amy, I, you're our expert. And so you tell us why. <laughs> why does this happen? I should then write a book, I guess. Right. <laughs> Please. Get that book it's coming underway, soon. Right. Um, that's, a, that's an Im- important question. Of course, there's not a definitive answer, but I'm going to tell you some similarities. Mm-hmm. really going to tell you. One is I just thank you again for sharing your story. It's, it's hard not to be over here weeping, but knowing that I was going to have to talk, I needed to hold it together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, it's an important story because from the outside, Everyone who knew Becca and Becca's family mm. would be surprised yeah. that somebody with such wonderful parents, which you do have, mm-hmm. that's not an um, understatement, right. wonderful parents, supportive community, Becca's a beautiful young woman, why would she struggle with something mm-hmm. like this? There's kind of this sort of like, why? Yeah. Um, who can we blame? You're right. Who can we blame? And I'm going to give you a couple... I've practiced for a long time, a really long time. And so I was really young when I saw Becca. I would say younger. I believe it. (laughs) Younger. Um, I feel like you were 14. I'm looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) I was much younger um, when I had Becca. And so even my experience was much fresher when I got to to counsel her. And so I also struggled with an eating disorder and recovered Mm -hmm. many years ago, which is how the Lord led me into this. But something that's really important is that typically, and I'm, I just had conversations this week with three parents that, that immediately asked the question, why us? Mm-hmm. Why, how, what did we do wrong? Yeah. And so it's really, really important. Absolutely. I have parents that contribute significantly mm-hmm. to their child's eating disorder. You guys actually weren't really in that category, um, <laughs> but who do contribute significantly. But for the most part, there's environmental, there's personality, Right, and there's circumstantial that happens, and with anorexia, there's a real common thread, and that is sort of this. I'm going to use real lightly this OCD component, mm-hmm. this desire to control circumstances outside of their control. So often, it has very little to do with actual body image; mm-hmm. it has a lot more to do with circumstances. And what's fully entrenched and engaged. It is a beast. I remember sitting with Bruce and Susan and saying, put your seatbelts on because this is going to be a long ride. And their humility and their willingness to learn in the moment was monumental for this child's recovery. Yeah. yeah. I'm just assuming that that's a hard place to get to as a parent, to be able to be humble and willing to learn. Well, they were model parents in this situation because I was astounded when Bruce and Susan came and sat in my office and said, you're the expert and will. I, that's not usually the case. Mm-hmm. I usually have you know parents that often come in with a lot of data mm-hmm. <laughs> and how they want me to care for their child and that wasn't the case. But what what is so important to remember is there isn't just one reason why. Not only that, is that anorexia is one eating disorder. There is not only just anorexia and bulimia, but there is this whole range of disordered eating that doesn't look exactly the same, but control is one of the most common themes in all of these disorders, Mm -hmm. this desire to control what's outside of our control. And as believers, this is such a tangible thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is, and, and Becca talks about this 
in just in her story, and you mentioned it when you were asking the question, is that the thought is, we've taken you to the doctor, oh, we've brought you to the dietitian, and now you'll be well. That's the misnomer here. That's that's yeah. like, oh, actually, we're just at the beginning. Mm. We're just, and even as she talks about her journey to A&M and this, this idea of relapse and stuff. So um, why it happens is a zillion reasons. There's a zillion reasons. But if I grouped them all together, and in Becca's story, when she said, when I was sharing my story, she thought, oh, goodness, I thought these things were just me. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe at first that made her a little angry. <laughs> she wasn't quite <laughs> as special as she thought maybe. Um, but it's so revealing how similar they are. Mm-hmm. The lies are really similar. The lies and then our beliefs and our actions around those lies are similar. And that's actually one of the most powerful parts of that healing journey is to recognize, oh, this is not unique to me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is unique maybe to anorexia. I mm-hmm. suffered with anorexia as well. Um, and disordered eating has has a lot of similarities. So it's a powerful thing. And the, and the truth is for parents is to recognize also that eating disorders are not a choice. Yeah. They're not something somebody chooses. It's not something somebody chooses to manage how they look. That's something mm-hmm. different. Yeah. That's a different podcast, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but eating disorders are not something people choose. It's something important. It's not rebellion. Mm-hmm. It's not rebellion. There certainly can be a component of that. Sure. Um, but it is not. No. So let me ask, um, because, you know, you mentioned that um, it's not the parent's fault, but that in some instances that that does play into this. And um, as a parent, you know, I have um, a young daughter. I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and that's just sort of terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't ever want to even play a part, you know, um, even unknowingly into them moving into just such a hard place like this. And so um, I know for, for Susan, this was, this was a whole journey for you. Mm-hmm. So I would just love to hear y'all's wisdom when it comes to that. How, how do we parent well beforehand, before it comes to this? And, and we have daughters who are walking through this and we don't know why, but we want to, we want to walk with them well. What does it look like to parent well before and during? Susan, you, you tell me your experience. Um, well, I'm not sure that I could say how to parent not to get this result because obviously that's, you know, that's here, here we are. Right. And so mm-hmm. as I look back, um, I had an eating disorder when I was in college, um, and I remember being meticulously avoidant of any kind of diet or talking about my body in front of my girls. I was very careful not to to go there, but I, I didn't offer the positive side of that. I, I kind of just said, we're, we're just not going to address this, right? And so that was uh, sort of a reactionary way to parent it wasn't a proactive way to parent, and I think that that was not helpful. I would have, I would have um, been wiser to to step into that because today, obviously, the messages are getting to our kids of in some way mm-hmm. or another. I think my eating disorder was very much about control too. Um, just I didn't realize that, you know, I, as I've grown and. The Lord has been faithful to reveal some things to me. I, I've understood now more and more about what that was about for me. Um, so it was about control, but just in my own ignorance, I didn't know. Um, so I, I would say that, like Amy said, there's so many causations that we can't really identify. Um, 
I wanted to know what we had done wrong. I remember mm-hmm. s- saying yeah. that often, you know. What, what do we do? What yeah. do we do? You know, how can we undo this? What can we, how can we make this be different? And, um, you know, sometimes there's just no good answers to mm-hmm. that. But Amy was obviously extremely helpful and, you know, like, mm-hmm. we are so grateful. So, so I, it is, <laughs> for one thing, if you, I love that this story is a story we're we're dealing with in this podcast because um, Susan and Bruce are amazing people. Anyone who's listening to this will know that. And so when you know that then Becca's struggles were real, and mm-hmm. and Bruce and Susan had such a humble approach to her recovery, which was life giving for me and my job. I was able to really we we would end our sessions weeping and praying together, you know. So it was this um, beautiful, just sweet space. And that isn't true always, um, but it's an important piece of this for anyone listening because they recognize, oh, it, this does happen to any and everyone. Mm-hmm. I have a dietitian friend that lives across the country who is a health at every size dietitian. She's an amazing believer, and her 15-year-old son was just diagnosed with an eating disorder. You know, and she's calling mm-hmm. me going, wait, w- 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 what's hap- why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? You know, this is what I do, and so it can absolutely happen to anyone. One of the things that I encourage, and I would go talk to mothers of preschoolers and mothers to elementary school kids, one is teaching them, is, is Susan was so vulnerable in saying, I didn't really talk about this part of it. I, mm-hmm. my, my choice was to not talk about it. I grew up in a household where my mom talked about dieting all the time. We just cleared out her stuff um, this last summer, and I found these old books um, that were Christian books written by male chaplains mm-hmm. of um, trying to help women, Christian women lose weight. And her full journals were so much confession, confession of how can I be such a bad sinner? How can I write? And Lord, please help me lose weight because I just want to love you well. And so this idea of Christianity and those things, and the thing is we're still doing it. We just have mm-hmm. updated illustrations. Mm-hmm. We just have updated. They're not quite so cheesy mm-hmm. um, and they're a little bit more science-backed. But we as Christians and Christian women, we we have to deal with our own body image stuff first. We have to. It's there. It's real. We have to deal with it. And the other thing is communication. We have to communicate openly with our kids. So I have a girl and three boys, um, and my daughter, I remember her in high school, who is an intuitive, natural, normal eater. Mm -hmm. She's never um, struggled with, and I remember being pregnant and weeping over that belly and saying, Lord, please let me not do this to my child. Let Mm -hmm. me not have a repeat. And I remember being at a baseball game and Audra's with the boys and I said, we're going to be late. And Audra was in high school and she said, oh, I'll cook for you guys. I've got some time. So when we came home, she had made... Um, baked fish and cauliflower and a salad and rolls and chocolate chip cookies, like this whole meal. She was in high school. And I remember going in my bedroom and crying and thinking she made this meal not because she was trying to be good, not because she had anything to, not because she was dieting, not because she was, but because she'd grown up and there was chocolate chip cookies and bread and fish (laughs) and vegetables Right, all, mm-hmm. all, of, all of the same, because there was nothing there for her. She was unattached to dieting, the dieting mm-hmm. realm and world, and all of that, and, and body image. And so, part of that is that communication piece. It's mm-hmm. that, and it's dealing with our own body image issues. They're there, and it's men and women. Mm-hmm. Men's is disguised mm-hmm. as fitness goals. Yeah, 
Um, that's that's kind of what's happening mm-hmm. in our world, especially even in the Christian world, mm-hmm. um, is this really intense fitness goals, kind of like, whoop, that's my deal. But then also we as women, we, we have to deal with it in the church. But that's, again, another podcast. <laughs> well, let me just ask you, though. Um, that that could I really think we could we'll probably say that five hundred times today. Maybe. Um, but but when you say I've seen these old you know pamphlets like this is how you love God well and to not be losing weight is sinful and how de- devastating. I think we can all all right here be like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But you said we're still doing it. So just tell me what you mean by that because I think that we need to hear that. What what do you mean? Yeah. Well, we we are still doing it because there's a few books on my shelf of current authors that would say that if we're loving God well, then we are thin. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if we're loving God well, then we are um, honoring Him by with our body. And the the the, there's two things that I say that I ask questions. Um, We want to glorify God in our body rather than glorifying the body. Mm-hmm. And that's a really subtle distinction. I want to glorify God in this body. God made human bodies amazing. He He sanctified them by living among us in human flesh. Um, we don't do well talking about a lot of things that happen in the body in the church. We just don't do that well. We don't, um, but we want to glorify Him in the body and not glorify the body. And this nuance is a lot of times in the church, we are working hard on glorifying the body, mm-hmm. our physical body. Um Part of that is we don't we're not learning how to age well as women, and we're not necessarily translating that well to to our kids. And then the other question is to what end and to whose glory. Mm-hmm. So if we're asking to what end are we, you know, um, we'll start sort of these dieting groups, or um, you know, there's Christian authors that that are you know tell their own food plan, and we do that. And health is important. It is important because we want to do the things that God's created us to do. But I have um, a client right now who would give me permission to say this, who when we just went through her lies, she's been a believer her whole life. Um, she's she's older, and she one of her lies is, I cannot live my God-given destiny until I am my thinnest version of myself. And that mm-hmm. is a lie she has believed her whole life. That's coming from somewhere. Mm-hmm. She was taught that mm-hmm. um, either through discipleship, um, through actions, right? And there was a series of things that she said that were, would, would we would all go, oh, mm-hmm. but we're doing it. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. Thin is better, mm-hmm. um, you know, these things. And it, this isn't about not taking care of our health. It's just that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. Mm-hmm. You know, seek first the kingdom. And and we're saying that with our words. We're repeating that as believers. But then if we if we balanced our time between exercise and, and these other ways that we're, you know, really spending our time for on our bodies mm-hmm. versus our discipleship, our our kids are getting the message loud and clear. Yeah. They're getting it loud and clear. Just tell me some practical ways we can get there because I know that people are listening are like, yes, I know that is so awful and true. Um, but it just is, that's, that's really the whole world around us and it infiltrates, infiltrates the church and, you know, we don't know how to, you know, love the bodies that God has given us mm-hmm. because they're a gift and a good thing. Uh, without glorifying them, like you're saying, without also thinking they need to look a certain way. Um, because that's what the world is telling us. So do you have any practical advice, any of you, for 
What does that look like as we are talking to our kids about food and what they look like? And just as we're out there in the world, you know, how do we do that? Practically speaking, it's they're, they're, the resolve that Becca talked about on her knees was a surrender. Mm-hmm. It was a surrender. And becoming like Christ, discipleship is a series of surrenders yeah. until we see him face to face. And and sometimes we have to come as women, as believers. Oh, boy, I could just, my hope is to do a TED Talk someday on this. Um, we have to come to a place of surrender. And that is to say, Lord, I don't, I actually don't know how to do this, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't know how to do this well. Let me give you the first practical tip. Let's stop talking about it. Let's stop talking about it in small groups, what diet we're going to go on. So I've got mm-hmm. a precious young girl in Boise, Idaho, who says, I go to small group and everyone's like, I can't do this. I'm on keto. I'm on this. Okay. I'm on that. That's practical. And I've touched, I've stepped on a lot of toes in, in your listener's world right now. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Preaching. I, 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 so w- what we're doing is we're elevating a certain way, well, unbeknownst to to them, she's in recovery for an eating disorder. Mm-hmm, right. So here she is. She's 25. She's young, married, and every group, small group church she goes to, she's like, I, "It's a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. It's a trigger for me mm-hmm. to go to small group." Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. sound the alarm. Well, tell me the difference between stop talking about your diet plans and communicate about struggles with food and your past and how to honor God, you know, because I just want people to know we do talk about it, but we don't only talk about our diets or whatever you mean yeah, by that. Well, that, yeah, it's a different, it's a different, you're two, two different things mm-hmm. really. For one, um, if we're, nobody really needs to be on keto. I mean, that's a, again, another podcast, but um, so one is we need to recover our relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a whole app on it. It's called Peace with Food because we need to recover our peace with food. We're just lost. We're yeah. lost in that. Yep. So uh, let's have that whole conversation. But let's commit as believers, let's make it safe for us in discipleship that we're not discipling each other on dieting. Yes. Yes. Let's make that commitment. What we can talk about is our own food struggle, which would be I'm struggling with the things that I'm struggling with this aging body. I'm struggling with um, these things. Those are safe things to talk about. And this Mm -hmm. young girl finally blew a gasket and said, I am in recovery for anorexia (laughs) if anyone cares. And you know what they all said? Oh, Nobody asked her a follow-up question Mm. because that's uncomfortable. It's much easier for me to talk about paleo than it is for me to talk about the fact that you're recovering from an eating disorder. That's... Right. Eeks, mm-hmm. That's mental health. That that's scary. Oh, as believers, we have to get our feet wet and our hands dirty and go. Wow, would you be willing to share your testimony about that? That's and say, oh, I'm sorry, I was talking about that. I'm yeah. sorry, it's like it's okay to that. say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that yes. I yeah that I went there. That yeah. I went there, and we're just triggering each other. It's just messy. Not only that, when we do that. Our kids know it. I mean, yeah. I knew every diet my mom was on, and I knew sure. if she was on a diet, and if she wasn't, she had candy mm-hmm. in her purse. That's yeah. all I knew, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> candy in her purse, butterscotch candies, right? Oh, she's not dying. So, right, I knew what my mom. Our was kids, on. they just know. They, they do know. They, they do. do know. I think we have a collective responsibility, like being living life on life with one another, being in whether it be a small group at um, in my church community, we call them parishes. And we're responsible for one another. Um, and that doesn't look like, you know, I'm in charge of your choices, but it does look like I care about your soul. And um, if, you know, I, I remember one one thing in particular, we were having parish and um, 
they had talked, we, we ate together and they had talked about the whole parish going paleo. Um, well, we all need to eat healthy, so mm. we should all go paleo. And I mean, I'm sweating. I, knew, I just want you to know I'm sweating. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I, I personally knew, you know, three women, including myself and the parish that had histories of eating disorders. Um, and if, I mean, you ask, what does it look like to communicate that? That was my moment to say, <laughs> to speak up and say, um, that's actually not healthy for us as a parish to do. Um, it would be counterproductive for whatever it is you think is going to um, bring about health in the parish. It may make your body feel a certain way or look a certain way. It's going to ruin our souls mm, yeah, as a parish. Name. Amen. Um, and there was one girl in particular, this is um, after that, who um, mentioned, like, I think I offered her something. She said, oh, no, I was already bad today. I had mm-hmm. a scone. Yeah. And that that's another moment mm-hmm. as a parish we communicate what you just said you were bad because of something you ate. Um, so your, your righteousness doesn't come from God. It comes mm-hmm. from food. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, those are all like the way that we talk about that mm-hmm. um, because it's comes offhanded. I mean, she didn't mean it. In sure. a, right. She didn't mean that. <laughs> right. But you hear that. Right. And, and other people, yeah. our kids hear that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And other people hear that. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. And um, so it was, you know, that that's the way that you can kind of attack the language or just talk about the language uh-huh, as being yeah. important because we speak things into existence. If I mean, I, yeah. I don't mean yeah. that in a, you know, we, we manifest our future <laughs> kind of way. way. <laughs> yes. millennial. Yeah, no, yeah, I don't mean it like no, that. that. I mean, I think that's really, really helpful because, you know, in your story and and what all three of you guys are talking about, you're talking so much about the importance of communication and community and honesty and yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. And I just think, you know, you said, I want to, I don't want to dictate what someone's doing, but there's, there's a difference, especially when you're talking about the church yes. and small groups of like carrying one another's burdens yeah. and loving each other. Well, right. that's not dictating what someone does. Right. No. And, and there was a, there's a base assumption there that I love to address, which was somebody in the group said, Let, we're going to do paleo because we want to be healthy as a parish. Right. What a weird assumption, right? <laughs> that everyone would need to eat paleo. It's just such a weird, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's easy though. It's easy because it's a formula, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. and it's not too it's accessible. Easy, but, yeah, it's, it's accessible. all over the place. Simple, right? Not easy, and it makes us feel good. People then feel good, and so it's and it's oh, it's just this this, this lack of fellowship. The talk I do, I've done it at this church, is the invitation to the table. Um, which is to say that one of the ways that the enemy steals from us is he steals our place at the table, mm-hmm. both figuratively and literally, mm-hmm. um, by making us not feel enough in our body, not feeling enough by the way we look, not feeling enough. Becca said, I knew ultimately I wasn't enough. That's part of my testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I was too much and not enough all mm-hmm. at the same time. So the enemy does that, but he steals our place at the table because client after client after client after client of mine says, well, I can't go, I I knew I couldn't go to small group because I would have to eat or both through anorexia, but also through dieting. Mm -hmm. And so he steals that place. And if you, if you dig into any of the gospels, Mm -hmm. so much of Jesus' work is at the table. Mm, It's around food and fellowship and life. And he gave it to, he didn't have to give us food. Mm -hmm. He could have just made us like eat a little pretzel every day or something, you know, like got it done. But he gave us that for enjoyment and and we're going to be at the banquet feast and none of us are going to know, I'm going to know what to do. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna know what to do at the banquet feast. I will know how to enjoy that. Like God has taught me what to do. I'm gonna enjoy every last bit of it. But I just don't. I don't. Let us practice here. Let us practice. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that we just struggle with um, just believing that these things are good. Yeah. And that they matter to God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Know, this material world, that that, that, yeah. is a, that is a good gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that eating and our bodies and all those things, they're not to be worshipped, but they're to be enjoyed. Enjoyed. Yeah. yeah. You know, and steward, mm-hmm. stewarded as good gifts from God. So yeah. I love that. <laughs> so what does it look like to walk alongside someone who is struggling? How, so in small group, you don't know. And so here's... You know, you guys sort of talk like, how do we talk about food? But but what if you see someone struggling, you know, whether it's your daughter mm-hmm. or your friend, h- how do you step into those places knowing, like Becca said, that like I I wasn't doing anything wrong and I saw that as anger and I, I didn't really want to let anyone in. What do you do? So that that's probably the biggest part of our story is that mm-hmm. it's, you know, this is a very isolating thing. It could be, obviously. Yeah. Um whether that's from, I think all sin is isolating, and whether that's your own guilt or shame or your pride, um, this was not a private struggle because Becca was very um, sick and it was very apparent. And so um, what could have been really, and, and was at times hard for me, I can only imagine how hard it was for her, um, it didn't allow us to hide. Mm-hmm. And Fortunately, um, I think that we have this environment and culture here mostly of grace and um, community, and there were a group of people that walked with us in that season so closely, praying for her, uh, praying for us, Mm -hmm. crying with us, um, checking on Becca at school. Um, Oh, yeah. I had spies everywhere. (laughs) You did. I did. I just love that. (laughs) God, give me spies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was um, it was a sweet gift, and um, that is not to say that there weren't still hurtful things that people said. People say things, you know, um, that were mm-hmm. not good and not positive. But by by far, um, the community that was around us was all very helpful, and the benefit of having people that walked with us. Um, and you know, the the surrender piece of this, while it was. You know, it was important and imperative for Becca to surrender. There was a surrendering mm-hmm. that we had to do in all of this that um, it's excruciating to surrender your child that you think is going to mm-hmm. die. And mm-hmm. um, there were times that we really thought, she's she's not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And it was it was terrifying. Oh, yeah. And um, so, um, but it, it got us to a place of surrender because we realized that, that we're surrendering to God. And when mm-hmm. you think about who your surrender is towards— then there's comfort in that. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, walking in community and living your life with people and sharing that with people, um, I don't know how I don't know how you do it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think you have to be careful when it's your kid. You have to be careful about sharing details about their life and about what they're experiencing. So be wise about that. Find people that you can trust that will truly mm-hmm. pray for you and pray for them and not take it upon themselves to enter into their your child's life on their own. You mm-hmm. know, you have That's to be really careful important. about that. It is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so we honor one another. We love one another well when we, when we take what someone says and we just take it to God on their behalf and we don't share it with anyone. That is a... So important. Mm-hmm. So wise. 
Mm-hmm. Especially on social media, not on yeah. social media. Right. Yes. Oh, amen. And for your child's sake, I, again, I, I just, Susan and Bruce just did so many things well. Um, and I, I do have, have parents that, that say, well, we, we're not embarrassed. We're not going to live like we're embarrassed. This. We, we don't care. We're going to tell everyone. And, and the poor sweet child is just, it's, is, it is so private. And so, um, it's like, no, no, that's <laughs> not, no, no, yeah. no, no. Right. The other thing I was going to say, and, and Susan, tell me if this just as a parent, I, I find so often with eating disorders, we're kind of weird about them. Mm-hmm. Like we don't yes. like, oh, I learned, but I don't want to ask. I don't want to ask mm-hmm. any questions or, or like for some, you know, for this young girl that I was talking about that was like, I'm in the middle of a recovery, you know, and then people are like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. that's awkward. I don't know how to say it. Just asking, how can I help you? How can I pray for you specifically? Um, do you want to share anything? It's like we don't, eating disorders can be sort of taboo and mm-hmm. weird, mm-hmm. Um, like a weird place to enter. And so just communicating well as friends and as, and as friends saying, I confronting somebody with an eating disorder is terrifying yes. because they will defend their eating disorder yeah. Yeah. at all costs and you'll feel embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Oh, I must be wrong. They're okay. And so um, that's a whole nother Mm-hmm. tackle. But I think just that communication piece of saying, I don't know what to do. Tell me how I can help you. Um, how can I be a good friend during this? That's, That's just, just such a great question to ask somebody, mm-hmm. regardless of the struggle, right. right? But just to say, how can I help you? How can I be praying for you? Yeah. And just acknowledging that there's a need yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, is so helpful. You know, whenever you guys are talking, especially right now, it just makes me think about now I might be wrong about this, but it makes me think this is very similar to any addiction, you know, that um, people are going to guard it, you know, until they absolutely cannot. Yeah. And then it really, they have to come to a place like Becca said, where I really, you know, Amy said, as soon as you want to get better, Jesus is here for you. You know, you have to get to that place of where you're ready to just surrender. So, you know, I remember this sermon that Bruce gave in December, and he was talking about purpose and uh, and Mary and how you know she surrendered to him. But he he said this quote, and I just loved it so much. He said, "God isn't spending a lot of time communicating to those who are actively protecting the autonomy of their lives." And he's talking about finding your purpose. So I don't want people to mishear that if you're talking about suffering and pain and, you know, needing redemption, like God will always meet you at your very darkest places. Yes. Mm-hmm. But there, there is something that has been throughout this podcast about surrender, mm-hmm. you know, in Becca's story and everything y'all have said that you have to get to the place where you're willing to surrender. So um, again, we could talk for a long time, but we're almost out of time. Becca, how did you find the courage to do that? Because that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um. Well, I think that surrender is a moment by moment thing. And um, there's this beautiful Audrey Saad song, um, How Can I Keep From Singing? And her lyric is, um, and day by day, this pathway smooths since first I learned to love it. And I think when you surrender in one moment, it makes the next moment easier to surrender because you find that the joy of obeying God and living your life and surrender to Him far outweighs the joy you thought was promised to you by holding on to your own purposes and ways. Um, and I, I trusted that whatever God asked of me, He would provide for me. And um, I knew that He wanted me to be well, 
And so he would make a way. Mm. So it honestly, I, I think Amy and I had conversations a lot about almost every moment. What do you, what do you have for me now? What mm. do you have for me now? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Every time mm-hmm. I yeah. kind of hit a, a roadblock. Oh, I, I remember having fear of this food. God, what should I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, and he always provided. I mean, mm-hmm. he was never more near for me than in recovery. But I think I made a lot of room for him mm-hmm. <laughs> to come. And I just want to encourage, if Becca and I could press play and we could watch recorded sessions, yeah. it was a safe space for Becca to ask a lot of hard questions mm-hmm. and to get angry and to not agree. Yeah. It's not like she agreed with everything I was mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or with God. Or yeah. with Probably. God. Mm-hmm. And she, but she was willing to in, stay in the plank with me. I was like, let's get in a plank and we're going to stay here for a long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we're going to engage this conversation. And so it was, a, and it was okay to, to, to not, to, it's like, it's okay if you're not surrendered today. Yeah. It's okay mm-hmm. if that, if that's yeah. not what that looks mm-hmm. like. What does it look like each time each we meet and we're, we're, because a lot of what happens when I get clients, they're in the contemplation phase of, of recovery, and which is I'm going to consider that I might possibly have a problem. Sure. <laughs> so we stay there for a long time, right? Maybe, 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 I'm maybe. I'm entertaining the thought. I'm entertaining the thought that I might possibly ever so slightly have a problem. Yeah. So even that place, it's that surrender happens moment by moment, but mm-hmm. it also is really messy. Yeah. yeah. It's so messy mm-hmm. and imperfect so messy. and lovely. <laughs> That's what relationship is about. You yeah. know, God is okay with that. Yes. I love that you said that. And the, the church is okay with that. Yeah. I hope everybody knows that, yes. that, yeah. that, that, that we're good with that and that there are people who want to walk with you in it. Even though we're not going to do it perfectly, we yes. still want to. Right. Well, thank you guys so much. I know that flew by. It did. It did. <laughs> I know. And um, there's so much to talk about, but I'm just grateful for all of your stories and your wisdom and your honesty. And um, I just think that it's a good gift and I'm grateful for it because um, a lot of people struggle with this and a lot of our daughters and sons do. And um, we just need to hear a good word about it. We need to talk about it. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. I hope this was helpful for you guys listening today. If um, you want to go to clearcreekresources.org, we'll list some resources along with this podcast where you can also find other videos and stories and music and sermons as well. Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for listening.